Welcome to Lead with Kindness, the podcast where we talk about how leading with kindness is totally doable and essential and so beneficial to the business enterprise that you're in, whether it's creative or not creative. I believe this applies to all groups of humans working together. Today, I have with me two of my favorite people, Nelga Landau and Cameron Johnson, co-creators, showrunners, EPs of Tom Swift and Nancy Drew. And together, we created the Drew Universe, and we ran some very successful writers' rooms and crews where people reported to us over and over again, this is the kindest place I've ever worked. I've never been so happy to come to work. And not just saying that to congratulate us, which I also am doing, but to say that it can be done. And we did it with intention, and we did it with completely teachable, fosterable tactics. So we're going to talk about that you know, in detail, how we started the writers' rooms, how we created a culture on both of those shows. But all of us came up the ranks in rooms and shows that were not so kind and not so nurturing. And, you know, for my part, I actually had a little list on my laptop that I would go to, and it's called this document, Things I Will Do Differently When I'm a Showrunner. And those were the (laughs) things that I implemented as a showrunner. That's 100% Melinda. Yes. It's a spreadsheet, not of vengeance, but of change. Yes. And so I've asked Noga and Cameron both to tell us exactly one anecdote of when something unkind, something kind of productive, dysfunctional, toxic happened on a previous work environment and how that cost that environment money. I was working on a show where there had been an established toxic writer's room. Like it was a place where people were backstabbing. It was a place where people shot down each other's pitches. It was place it was a place where there had to be like an office asshole and like that's the person we're going to hate or no, is it going to be you or is it going to be you? And like it was just everyone was sort of pitted against each other. Now, when I arrived at that show, there the the showrunner that had created that culture and also a hit TV show had left. And so there was this new person who was trying to find his way in, but all of that company culture was still there. So I get there and I'm like, I have ideas and I have things to say. And they're like, shut up. <laughs> there was a guy who I was writing with who he had, uh, he, you know, there's always one person in, on, on a writing staff who was like mad that they don't have their own TV show and think that they should be running it and are as a consequence quite upset. So he, of course, is the person, and often that person is a white man in his 50s, and uh, I was paired with him to write an episode of TV, of course. And so he was supervising me to help me because I didn't know what I was doing. He would change my deadlines. He would move story around. He would use slang that was um, honestly like wildly offensive about our characters because he just didn't know what it meant, and he was trying to sound like hip, And so, but I, he wouldn't take correction, and so I would be like, is it? is it okay for us to say that she looks awful? Because, like, that's what that means. And he's like, oh, oh, okay, well, that's that. It got to the point where in the room he wouldn't let me name characters. Like, he was like, he, he was like, you can't, know. we're not going to name the character that, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that, we're not going to do that. And what I think about is this, is that episode was fine. It was like a fine episode. But I think we went over by a day breaking the story. And what I think of is all of the time, which costs money and delays production. We're writing episode six. Is all of the time that he spent 
trying to stop me from having a good idea or being involved in the creative process that we could have dedicated to breaking more story or honestly getting off the board faster so that someone else who had a more complicated episode could get up there. So what happens in spaces like this where bad leadership has been modeled and where bad company culture has been created, you end up costing money because pettiness takes time. And that's what we ended up doing on that one. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so before I co-created Nancy Drew, before I became a showrunner myself, I was on several staffs. And I think that one common thread that I noticed that I kind of vowed not to carry forward um, on my own shows was this sort of glorification of stress. Mm. I think that in previous generations, you know, and, and even nowadays, TV writers kind of have this thing where they're like, we have to be stressed. We have to wear it like a red badge of courage. You know, stress is a part of being a showrunner. Stress is a, a part of the day-to-day life. And as a result, there's all these practices that justify the proliferation of stress in an office. Mm-hmm. Um, and that literally, I, I literally saw it cause people to have health problems and mental breakdowns and arguments and inefficiencies every day that cost the show money. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that part of becoming a leader is starting to question, but why? Why would I glorify stress? Why wouldn't I be trying to make people happy every day in mm-hmm. this environment? For some reason, in writers' cultures, it's been like if we're not miserable, we're not trying hard enough. There's right. something wrong. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's so weird. I think that it's so much of it is just because like these things had to be done quickly. And, like, we just have to figure it out. We don't have money, blah, blah, blah. But now that that's not the case, I think people struggle to let go of abusive, like, cultures or, like, wanting to pass down what we did on Dynasty to the the people who came after them. I think that's right. And I think it's so interesting because, to me, everything I've tried to do in my leadership is break the cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, just because I was always told that it had to be this way. You know, just because I was always told that if you had a if you had a baby, you could only <laughs> only take a couple weeks off, or else the what job won't be there for you on the other side. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a if you have to go to a doctor, you can't go to the doctor. You can't leave the writers' room. You can't see a therapist. You can't leave the writers' room. Like you can't mm-hmm. make a life because what if they suddenly need you? Mm-hmm. You know, all these all these things. It's like just because it was done before doesn't mean it needs to be done now. Mm-hmm. And we need to always be questioning that. Yeah, I find that people have better ideas when they're well-rested and that mm-hmm. they work harder when they're not resentful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that they're more creative when they feel like they're being valued for who they are, you know? Yeah. And when and they be- like you and are kind of scared of you. It's <laughs> a combination of both that what, really does the job. What camera means is that <laughs> we generated an environment that fostered trust yes. and yeah. vulnerability as a bridge to community for sure. Yeah. I'm thinking of one specific example like on my list of things I would never do. I worked for a showrunner who... There would be no rhyme or reason to the day. Mm-hmm. And we would go as far as we could in the room, and we'd finally be looking at, like, oh, it's like six-ish, but, you know, so-and-so hasn't been in the room yet. Maybe we'll all kind of go home, maybe. And then the showrunner would come in and sit down and be like, what do you got? Oh, you know, and then gosh. we'd be there for another 90 minutes, and people had been hopeful of making plans for dinner or seeing their loved ones or going to the gym. And then all of us are there just tethered to the showrunner who seems to have no 
idea how to read a clock and mm-hmm. definitely did not care whether we had other things to do with our lives after 6.20 p.m. Respect for time. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things in my email, I will tell the Forks email now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's Forks it. Fork it up. <laughs> in the pilot of Nancy Drew, one of the waitresses, best puts down a fancy little amuse-bouche fork and then later on is urged to do the fancy thing again, do the Forks thing. And so my email became the Forks email. Like, let's try to entice a wonderful person like Alex Taub, who we can't afford normally. But here are the things that we can do, Alex, in this environment that we're creating. And I I laid out all these things like we're going to have a meditation coach. We're going to have a workflow communication coach. And those are the first two days of the room. We're going to do a public service outing because I feel like we should bond, but I don't feel like we need to go to Palm Springs and drink. I would like Mm -hmm. to be of value to our community and connect with the people who are literally in our neighborhood. And also, you know, quietly remind ourselves that isn't it great that we're TV writers, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of like we can give back. We have a job that makes us happy. Lots of people don't have either of those things. So then, you know, among the other things that I talked about were my touchstones. It was about working with introverts. There was a thing about um, team building with the New England Patriots. Not everybody likes the Patriots, but I liked how they were (laughs) introduced to (laughs) the Super Bowl. Long story short, the other team was called off one by one up the roster and then quarterback, and everybody cheered, and he came out by himself. And I was very excited for the Patriots to be called off in such a manner. And the announcer said, ladies and gentlemen, the New England Patriots. And they all came out in this big clump. And they Mm -hmm. won that game by a field goal. So I really took away from that, that everybody brings something to the team. And that's why I encourage all the writers who go to set, you must learn the names of everybody. You must look them in the eye and say good morning and thank them for what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Even the person who you don't really know what their job is, ask them. It's probably pretty interesting. And you Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. Thank God they're there. We have to shut down if that person doesn't do their job. So to appreciate people one by one. But the thing that I really learned from the showrunner who came in at 620 and, you know, what do you got? That person. I really wanted to respect people's time. And when I uh, went to the Atlanta Zoo with my kids, I found this thing uh, where the goats were playing. And the kids are jumping around with these brushes and screaming and, you know, laughing and running around the goats. And all the goats are super chill. And I asked the goat manager, the lady for the zoo, how do you keep these goats so calm? And she said, you see that paddock over there? And there's this adjacent paddock with a little swinging gate. There are a bunch of goats over there as well, sitting on bales of hay, staring into space. And she says, anytime a goat in this play area doesn't feel like it wants to be around the kids, it just goes to that gate and bonks its head against, and we let it through. No questions asked. That's their play area. When they're ready, they come back. And we don't give them a hassle about that either. So what I took away from that is that every goat inside the paddock is there because it wants to be there Mm. and knows it can leave at any time. So yeah. that's how we ran the writer's room. Yeah. It's like if you've got a doctor's appointment and you want to see your kids play, if you need to have breakfast with an in-law, that's totally great. Just let us know. We'll be fine without you. <laughs> you know, Just <laughs> don't disappear. But, you know, live your life, please. Yeah. And that way people are not white-knuckling, wondering, oh, is this the day that the showrunner has a lunch? Maybe I can have a lunch too. I wonder if they're like, oh, my God, they canceled their lunch. Crap. I have to text no, my person and say, no, yeah. I can't go to my lunch because mm-hmm. the showrunner is still here talking. Mm-hmm. And there's no lunch break. There's no time that is delineated for my personal life. That I found was very successful in creating an environment where people actually wanted to work much harder because yep. I respected their time. That's right. And I think that one of the gifts that, that we got firsthand, actually from the pandemic, was a realization that we could run a writer's room on Zoom, because that's when it was, you know, that's what we had to do. But that our hours didn't have to be like 10 to 6 anymore. Mm -hmm. We could efficiently run a writer's room. Our hours were 10.30 to 12.30, a two-hour lunch break. Then we 
come on back at 2.30, and we wrap up by 5 o'clock. And people came in fresh, excited. You know, something that I remember from my days as a staff writer was you'd be sitting in one room all day long with the same group of people, and I'm an introvert, right? So I'm like, <laughs> by a couple hours into that, I'm dying. <laughs> I just need to sit in a corner and be the goat, you know, on a bale of hay by myself. But by the time like 4 o'clock would roll around, I would be jumping out of my skin because I hadn't had time to reset. I hadn't had time to just wander around and think about the story that we were telling. And, you know, to me, like exercising in the middle of the day, calling your friends in the middle of the day, reminding yourself that you're a human outside of the show, that's what actually gets you the stories that Mm -hmm. you want to tell. And that's what makes the show better. Totally agree. Very that. I found it, um, honestly, like, as when we first, when we began doing that, a little, a little challenging for my mind Mm. because I was used to being like, so we're not leaving. Like, (laughs) on the shows I'd been on before, people, they brought your lunch to you. You did not go to your office for lunch. You did not go offsite. It was like, they brought your lunch to you. You talked about your life or you had like half an hour of social life. Then the showrunner finished his food and then it was like, okay, now we are back to work. (laughs) When I think about in terms of the value of time and the outcomes that you get out of people, if someone has, two hours in the middle of day to go do whatever they want they are back they are happy they are not yeah. looking for they're not looking at the clock like oh god five you don't really get those like 525 ideas of like Mm-mm. well maybe it should just be something else like I don't know <laughs> like whatever it should just be whatever you don't get as many of those ideas and also what I think is if we go full Machiavelli like is it better to be loved or feared you get a lot more love out of that you get a lot more mm-hmm. people who are desire and enjoy working for you, mm-hmm. and so and it forces you to use that time efficient, efficiently and have an agenda. And so I, I'm a big fan. It's fun. Yeah, I think it's so important to to let people know that you're all in it together. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when you yeah. said that thing about the showrunner's done with his lunch, and now we all have to stop eating. And that, well, you uh, can keep eating, but I it's mean, like but and it's work like begins. And yeah, you know, yes. like mm-hmm. well, once the showrunner stopped eating, and a lot of the rooms I came up with the little lids on those boxes started to close to Like, well, you know, the Click. boss is not eating anymore, so we're done eating, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, what that tells people over and over is that they don't matter as much as yes. the boss. And that's so disheartening. And then you don't care as much, you know, mm-hmm. because you're like, well, I'm really just being treated as a cog, and I don't even get to decide when I finish my meal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. let me just kind of temper how I'm going to participate here. On some level, you do that. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And I think... I look at the three of us. Mm. And uh, back in the old days when they used to paint the portraits of showrunners in the National <laughs> Galleries, <laughs> they didn't look like us, did no, they? they did not. They did not. They True. did not. And I think that one of the things that continues to be about breaking the cycle is that suddenly people who do, whose faces are not on the coins, mm-hmm. suddenly people like us uh, were allowed finally to be in positions of power. We came in with our experience of the world, which mm-hmm. is that I've never really been revered anyway, so I'm just going to do it my way. Yeah. It's true that you should need to take different modalities. I think the challenge of good leadership is to make it intentional. Because yeah. Because often when you see bad leadership or when you see a toxic writer's room, it's because there was no strategy, there was no spreadsheet. It's just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to come in and what I want is I want the show to get done the way I want to do it, and I want to be... And I and I want to be I want to feel like the other people who like I want to make other people feel how I felt even yeah. if, whether that's negative or not. Mm-hmm. And I think in looking at the rooms that I've been in that were just run by nice people but just less efficient. The problem is always when 
the show owner doesn't know what they want. Yeah. And when there was no clear intention or structure to the room or the day. And so it was just like, I, you're just going to talk and we're going to sit here and throw spaghetti at you until you've come up with an idea. And we're sort of tethered to you in that in that case. And it becomes very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if also there's an aspect of conflict avoidance, weirdly, that overlaps with a personality that really wants to have it their way all the time. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to talk about how to reach consensus or how to kind of like tell somebody, I didn't like your idea. I've had showrunners who were very nice to my face who then rewrote my whole script. I never understood what I'd done wrong, you know, and it was so frustrating because I wanted to get better. And that was another thing that I decided when I rewrite somebody or if I do revisions, inevitably you do revise things along the way for lots of reasons. But if you have the person sit with you on Zoom and say, here's why I'm changing this character voice. I feel like this person doesn't use gonna. I think this person says going to because he's very proud of being a lawyer or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. like you're very specific about why you're changing stuff. It's not just as my mathematician brother says, peeing on it till it smells like you. Yeah. <laughs> so mathematical. I know, well. But some people do want to pee on it till it smells like you, but again, that's not that's not but again, that's not intentional. That's not like and that's also not teaching. Like mm-hmm. that's also yeah. the, like the, the the job of a showrunner is also to teach someone how to do their job. Um mm-hmm. and so that is a uh, that can be quite challenging when people also don't respect the the work of others. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's important to talk about how people treat their support staffs mm. and how people treat their lower level writers. Right. Because I think that was another thing that I noticed a lot when I was coming up um before I was a showrunner myself that a lot of the showrunners I encountered while they might not have been outwardly abusive, they would they would turn a blind eye to abuses that were going on in their office and mm. in their hemispheres and their on their shows and not intervene. Mm. Um, specifically, I was on a show where there was a, a non-writing producer who was very verbally abusive to the support staff and it mm. would go on every day and it was awful and I never really quite understood why it was allowed to perpetuate like that. And I think that sometimes, as you say, conflict avoidance, I think sometimes showrunners are afraid of confrontation. Mm-hmm. And in the same way that we have to get used to making people's lives easier and, and not glorifying stress, I think we also have to figure out how to stand by what we believe in um, and be firm mm-hmm. in our morals. And sometimes that, that puts you in an uncomfortable place where you have to confront somebody mm-hmm. directly about something. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be a confrontation and anger, but it just mm-hmm. needs to be clear. Yeah. My yeah. life coach, Birgit, who is the person who runs the workflow, she gave me this great phrase the other day, which was, it's time to stop being nice and start being clearer. She said, you need clarity and not niceness yeah. in this moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there is a difference also between being nice and being kind. Mm-hmm. A kind thing to do can be to let somebody go from a position that they're not suited for. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel nice in the moment, but is actually better for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it can also be, you can be nice lots of ways and not be kind at all. I think most people have experienced that. But I think that we could do, you know, as showrunners generally, the community, with a little more training in how to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, mm. how to be... How to have an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. Because when you talk about conflict and conflict avoidance, so much of that is not... I, there, I was on a show, whatever, right, right as our show got picked up. Mm-hmm. So, and there was an overlap because we are, our, our series order was delayed. And, mm-hmm. like, there was this month where I was, like, we were, like, let's go find, let's go interview writers. Let's read scripts. And I was, like, okay, well, they understand that I'm leaving, right? And they were, like, no, you have to be in the room the entire time. <laughs> and but the what was interesting inefficient inefficient well i mean inefficient it's also a compliment <laughs> but whatever and so 
what what was interesting is that like there was a day where I was getting I was on outline and I'd been and I was like getting my haircut and so I was getting my haircut and I was going to make a bunch of calls with you guys and that was going to be that and I got a text from my friend who was on the show and she said where are you and I was like oh I'm I'm getting my haircut I'm on outline I got to write this outline the showrunner is talking shit about you. <gasps> The showrunner is saying, oh, well, I guess he got his own show, so he's not going to show up in the room anymore and blah, blah, blah. And so I finished getting my haircut, sped up the hill to back to my house and like got back on zone. I was like, hey, I'm sorry. I thought I I was on outline. I didn't realize. And she's like, oh, no, it's fine. So when we talk about what that would look like, there's two problems there, right? So one, there was a miscommunication of expectations. Mm -hmm. And the second is that, like, rather than, like, you know, you are my boss. You can text me and say, (laughs) I I was under the impression you were going to be in the room today. But instead, you made a bit out of it. So Mm. that when you talk about not wanting confrontation, not wanting, not being comfortable with confrontation, that is what that can look like, where it's like it becomes like a passive aggressive type thing. But I think a lot of that happens because there is no training for necessarily this job. Mm. Like, it's not really like a thing you can Google and like this is how you run a TV show blah 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 there's not really an explanation of it you just kind of have to like do it and mm-hmm. it's like you can have an idea and then be like oh okay oh what is that what am I doing now what's happening it, it's like it can all be very confusing so yeah mm-hmm. the personnel training I think has been super powerful I think that's what was so useful about the workflow stuff and about mm-hmm. Birgit and because it was this is how we do business right yeah it's about professional behavior in a mm-hmm. workplace and it breaks down very quickly for her and like this phrase she uses, who will do what by when? Mm-hmm. So it's kind yeah. of like, Cameron, can you be in the writer's room today at 12? And, Done. And I think that what your boss maybe was compensating for was that she had not asked you that. Yeah. And it's much easier to make fun of you in your absence mm-hmm. for something that really was her lack of leadership yeah. that caused that situation, in my opinion. But the other thing that Birgit talks about is managing commitments. Mm. So it can be things like, I don't need an answer today, but I need you to commit to when you can give me an answer. And then the other person can say, I can give you an answer by Friday. And that's great. You mm-hmm. know, So now I'm not like hanging in the wind. Like, I don't know when this question is going to be answered, but I've got everything else on hold until this question gets answered by somebody. I'm not even sure who's going to do it. Yeah. So who will do what by when is a big tenet of the Birgit teaching. So controversial question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here's what it is. <laughs> There are going to be people in the world who will say that working like this, so beginning your writer's room not with like a three-day drunken Palm Springs retreat, (laughs) which I've been on, is a vibe, is also quite weird because it's like these are my coworkers. But there are people who say that a focus on spending time sort of creating sort of relationships, a focus on workflow, a focus on like having these sort of conversations gets in the way of storytelling. What would you say to that? How does it? Ma- how does how do things like this make storytelling and make what we do better? Mm-hmm. Mm. I would say that when you feel open enough to really dig deep and share the vulnerable parts of you, the messy, raw human parts of you, you can only do mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. if you trust mm-hmm. the people around you. Absolutely. I mean, you might do it once, and <laughs> then you get shut down, or somebody you know says something terrible about your experience, or mm-hmm. laughs at you, or yells at you. Or, I mean, again, off the top of my head, things that have happened in right. writer's rooms. And then you will never do it again. And so you need to create an atmosphere where people feel it's possible to make mistakes and mm-hmm. to yeah. open themselves up to so the So it's almost like this you. creates a structure of creative for creativity. Yes. Like yeah. there's a box in which like a container of sorts where it's like mm-hmm. here's a box in which like we're going to be safe. We're going to treat people respectfully. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get yelled at. You can like – you can go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like and when you come back, you should – you can present yourself and present mm-hmm. ideas and go from there. I think that's fascinating. Uh, I hope people – 
take that away from this. I mean, you just reminded me of an anecdote. I asked a friend of mine who was on a very pro- high-profile show, and I was like, wow, what's it, what's it like in that room? I've heard it's tough. And he's like, we pee when the showrunner pees. Wow. Oh, yeah. Geez. I mean, for real, that's what it was. That's, why are grown people holding their pee? You know what I mean? And getting paid thousands and thousands Have of dollars you never, a week. I'm seen, I'm seen, I've, I've done that. You've never done that? You've never just been like, well, I'm not, I can, we can't use the bathroom. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I've been in that situation. Fully been in that room. Almost, yeah. almost peed my pants. Yeah. Just literally had oh, to like, dear. was like, cause I, I was doing it for like a number of weeks yeah. and like not, not leaving the room. And then my body was like, so we, are we do are we having a fight here? Like, is that what's <laughs> happening? Cause I'm a win. Yeah. And so, uh, the, the, the oh global eye. And so I literally like ran out of the room, yeah. went to the bathroom, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's a, I think it's the combination of when you're dealing with an, knowing the population who you're employing. Mm-hmm. And so writers tend to be anxious people. They tend mm-hmm. to be people who want to please. They mm-hmm. tend to be people who have like a little bit of like, you know, mommy, somebody didn't love me enough and I need to kind of fix that energy. Mm-hmm. And so as a consequence, like it's the, you don't have, it's it's telling people like, hey, it is safe for you to do the following things. Like you can go to the bathroom, you have autonomy, you can say, you can disagree with me. Mm-hmm. And if you do those things, it allows, the, it, it makes the show better. Mm-hmm. But not everybody knows that. People think, with you know, they need to be like, I need absolute obedience. I'm crapping a whip over my head. Uh, <laughs> not a visual medium, but here we are. It's really, I don't know why, I don't know how it all got set up that way, except to say, I think that, you know, in a much larger conversation, this is all a microcosm of society itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a bunch of weird behaviors that I think have been there kind of from the beginning of like, call it the uh, industrial age, call it the whatever, patriarchy, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That when you really boil them down, they're there to keep control of people and mm-hmm. to keep certain people out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And stuff like not giving people the right to pee when they want to. And, and by the way, I bet you that if you walked into that room, took a time machine, walked into that room, and you were like, so what's it like in this room? Are people allowed to use the bathroom when they want? I feel like the showrunner would be like, oh, of course, of, of course, course, of course. But it's like, no, nah, but, re- but is right. it? Mm-hmm. Because the way that the way that these practices seep into a workplace culture are like really insidious, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's how people talk about each other. Like I remember, I was in a in a workplace where one of the members of the support staff like ha- like wanted to go to his therapy appointment once mm-hmm. a week that was at like six p.m. Mm-hmm. Which to me nowadays, as a showrunner, I would be like, "We're going to make sure you're out of this room by five. So mm-hmm. you have time to get there, land, do the work you need to do to be a human. Like, just mm-hmm. sort of basic, basic shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, as a human. But there was so much derision around it in this room that this person would want to go once a week while, you know, some of us were still there working. And I just, it's stuff like that where it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Why do we, why are we okay with that? Why yeah. did we just adopt that as the way that things should be in this culture? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it comes from a place of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a shot in the dark here, because if you feel like, oh, I can look down on that person, then I don't have to look at myself. You know, yeah. there's that. But, but I also want to bring around back to the idea of how to make people feel safe, mm-hmm. how to let them know that it is safe to venture forth ideas, and, mm-hmm. and not all those ideas have to be brilliant or work or stick. One thing that I really love about both of you is that when your work is being roundtabled or when you're pitching ideas to the room, you're open to being added to. You're open mm-hmm. to being like yeah. having a conversation about like, well, what if we did it this way? Or I wonder if that scene would be stronger if you structured it this way. And you yeah. take notes, you participate and receive in the creative process just like anybody else on the staff. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's such important. A, a great example for the folks around you to be like, oh, 
their line didn't work either. Oh, okay, I can I can try something different with my dialogue and not feel like I'm going to get cast out of the herd if it mm-hmm. doesn't all like get a gold star the first it's time. It's not. Perfect. That's right. Well, that's I mean, right. if it's not perfect, I have to throw you out of, off a balcony. But that's <laughs> Except for Cameron, who is perfect. Who is perfect. Right. Yes, you thank know. you. Oh my god. Now we're finally saying it. <laughs> but my point is to say that like there's. There's much to learn from people if you don't shut them down. Mm-hmm. And a culture of shutting people down often makes your show worse. Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, and I think that all the ideas that we ever received in the writers' rooms at Nancy Drew and Tom Swift made the episodes better, made the shows better. Mm-hmm. And it was so wonderful. To, I often, I guess I was modeling this without intending to, but during our roundtables, I would almost always say to Noga, I'm so glad that we yeah. had this round table. We are so, <laughs> You're smart. so smart. I would uh, high five her through the Zoom screen. The best. Thank God we asked the opinions of these people who we hire. Right? Yeah. Who we are they paying to give us their great ideas. Their ideas are better than our ideas. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, a lot of it is this old idea that showrunners were geniuses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to get, get rid of that. Like showrunners can be geniuses, and but also they can be people who are trying to inspire everyone around them. Mm-hmm. That's what I think a showrunner actually is. Mm-hmm. What you can do is, and I think what was so effective about the workflows that we put in place and stuff like that, is that it demonstrates that you are human. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's like, here are my flaws. What are your flaws? This mm-hmm. is my experience. What is your experience? And so on and so on and so on. So that people can understand that like, sure, maybe I did this thing that you aspire to do, but I'm still a person. And yeah. together we can like, who trusts your ideas and together we can make things better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I love all of that. I think that's all the time we have. It's <laughs> okay. been fantastic having both of you here. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and I'm so grateful that you came by and shared your insights and your thoughts and experiences about kindness and creating a culture where my favorite quote ever from the guy who wrote The Little Prince, if you want to teach people to be great shipbuilders, don't teach them how to hammer a nail. Teach them to love the sea. So I thank both of you for teaching our writers how to love the sea. And thank you, Mel. I just want a beach house. Anyway, but thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're the best educators ever. Thanks for listening to Lead with Kindness. And so far, we've talked about kindness, inclusion, team building, teaching people to love the sea. And please come back next week when we talk about internal calm with two folks who have fostered that in themselves and others. Andy Baring, who's a director who came up as a location manager, and Jonathan Brody, post supervisor for Nancy Drew and Tom Swift. They both deal with real-time pressure, real-world problems, and they are able to sail through it with calm and grace.